Welcome to the Get Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I'm obsessed with all things writing, creativity, and telling your stories in your authentic voice, because I believe a good story can change the world. Ever since I was a little girl with my nose in a book, I dreamed of being an author. I wanted to see my books in bookstores everywhere. I wanted to talk about books. I wanted to soak up everything about the craft. My celebrity crushes were mostly authors, and I could feel in my bones that the writer's life was my destiny. Fast forward to today. Along with my alter ego, Kate Conti, I'm an Agatha Award-nominated best-selling author with three mystery series, but it wasn't all smooth sailing along the way. I experienced many setbacks, crushing self-doubt, a lot of career detours, and I even lost my voice a few times when I let the world get in my way. Until I learned that writing was so much more than just a skill set you learned and developed over time. It's also an inside job that flourishes when you heal all the wounds that are stifling your creativity, which is no easy task. So if you're a writer of any kind, or if you've always wanted to write but aren't sure where to start, this is the place for you, my friend. We're going to talk about all things writing process, craft, strategies to help you get writing and stay writing, the daunting world of agents, editors, and publishing. And because I'm using my authentic voice, I'm going to throw in a little woo-woo for you too. So let's get writing, shall we? Liz McGavro, and thank you for coming back. I'm so glad you're here. Today, I'm sitting down with Gabe Bolkowski, a musician. He's a violinist, a creator, and a teacher whose primary goal is to help people get more in the flow with their music and their creativity and get into a process mindset that supports them. So this was a really interesting conversation for me. I met Gabe through a membership that I'm in with Christine Karen, who teaches productivity for writers. Christine was here on the podcast with me um, on episode number two. If you didn't listen to that episode, I'll drop the link in the show notes so you can do that immediately because it really is a great episode. And it became clear that Gabe and I had a lot to talk about related to how we work creatively, how we think about working creatively, and how we really get to a place of peace and ease that helps the process. And I think we can all use some peace and ease, don't you? I just think it's fascinating that no matter what kind of creation you're doing, whether it's music, whether it's writing, whether it's some kind of art that's, you know, painting or whatever it is, really there's, there's so many similarities in the things we struggle with and in the ways that we can conquer our own minds and get to a better place. I love learning from other creative people, musicians especially endlessly fascinate me because their processes really can be so similar to ours as writers and we can always learn from a new perspective. So let's jump in. Enjoy the conversation. Hi, Gabe. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure, Liz. Oh, this is going to be fun. I I actually talked to um, a songwriter last week. The show hasn't aired yet, but um, at the time of this recording, but that was the the first musician that I talked to. So now I get to talk to a different kind of musician. I'm really excited because I love finding the similarities in creative processes. So why don't you tell the listeners about yourself and what you do? 
Okay, um, I am, I would say, primarily a musician. I'm a violinist and violist. I play in a string quartet called the Bayberry String Quartet. Um, but I also play in a tango band called the Oblivion Project, which is sort of a fusion tango band that plays exclusively music of Astor Piazzolla. Um, I also have been working with children for a very long time, over 30 years, um, which has become a very big focus of my life and purpose. And um, I run, uh, um, I ran a nonprofit for many years, and now I run a private company called Education for Happiness um, with my wife, Stephanie, here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, and the the purpose of the of the business is to help people find ways to grow their intelligence uh, in ways that have better flow and more delight and uh, you know real sense of process and productivity. So that's me in a nutshell. I love that, and that's actually how we met. We met in a in a writer's productivity group, <laughs> so that's right. or through, that's through right. a writer who teaches productivity. So, and Christine's actually been on the podcast too. She was actually my very first podcast guest when I started the show back in February of 2023. So, How cool. yeah. So I, I love to talk about how, you know, any kind of creative work, um, you know, often we get lost in our own heads and in our own overthinking. And, you know, we just don't do the things that we want to do sometimes, right. Until we're, um, yes. where, you know, we've got some kind of community and we've got some kind of practice and process in place. So talk about how you got to that, to that point. Were, were you always like a process person or did you kind of have to find your way there and then want to, you know, bestow that wisdom on others? Yeah, I I think I went through phases where I was process oriented without realizing it. Maybe in high school, I had a theater background, and it's really almost impossible to uh, be an actor without having some sort of process in place, even just to memorize your your lines. Let alone, mm -hmm. you know, um, be able to find deeper aspects of the of the art form. Um, and then I went. To, to music school and um it was it was much tougher than i expected and so in order to get through it sort of forced me to come up with a process that would allow um my mental health to to survive <laughs> mm. um but i'll say that it all really came together during the pandemic um when everything sort of shut down and we were on zoom and people were having issues online um, with focus, with, um, with being able to stay with any type of material. Um, and it brought some uh, very interesting uh, realizations to light for me that um, the main issue for people was I didn't think that they were on, not that they were on zoom because personally as you know, a child of the eighties, I felt like we were in star Trek and it was like the coolest thing ever, but the anxiety and the difficulty regulating emotions, um, in these new spaces that don't allow for us to, um, you know, get the kind of break that, that, getting out of a room or being among people 
um, gives to us naturally. So I started to really focus on emotional regulation and connecting it up to the creative process and realizing that a lot of people's processes are essentially hampered or stopped um, by um, high states of emotional anxiety and frustration, anger, fear. Um, and so that sort of sent me into a new direction of talking about the process, both with my students and with clients who came through our, our company. We, we started a program called Roland, which is um, a practice support program for musicians to help them be able to have a more productive practice, um, to feel a sort of progress accelerant, but also to maintain a level of calm throughout the whole process. Um, and so it has, you know, sort of multiple moving parts, but um, we gather as a community every day. Um, some people come two or three hours a day to get their practice done in a way that feels much more delightful to them and satisfying. So that's been the journey over the last COVID years for me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of wild how when life is imploding, whether it's out in the broader world or in your own world, um, how it's so easy to lose focus for creative people. Like I'm that way too. Like I can't concentrate if things aren't going well. Right. Um, and so yeah, I actually right. have a membership for writers as well. It's called the creativity lab. And that's one of the main things that I found when I started it, you know, cause it, it's morphed, um, over the past year and a half, a little bit, just, you know, I started it as, um, a, a way to help people kind of recover creatively from the things that crippled them, um, from actually getting uh -huh. to their writing. It's turned yeah. into, you know, so much more of a community thing though, right? It's, you know, uh -huh. people like to come for education and, you know, help with technicalities of writing and, you know, guidance on publishing and all of that. But really the thing that people always talk about is the fact that they have a community and we do the same thing. We get together, um, pretty much daily and, and we, you know, talk for a little bit and then we put our, you know, cameras off and we write. And so beautiful. Yeah. Your, your offering, you talk about four things, accountability, privacy, mindfulness, and community. We touched a little bit on the community part, but I'd love to hear like how you came to these four pillars and how you use them with your members. Yeah. Um, I, I learned very quickly that there's a, there's sort of a deep process going on, but that most people are, they want to feel the process, but they don't necessarily need to hear every detail of what I've worked out. They find that just having a community to show up for is, um, a really big part of it. Just knowing that they, you know, they have a set time to show up. Um, and then we, we spend time, you know, talking about how we're feeling and it's, it's not, it's not like a therapy session, but we sort of, we have sort of categories. Are we, are you feeling really low energy? Are you feeling, you know, sort of, um, optimal on energy where you feel able to see causalities more easily and act on them? 
Are you feeling a little amped up where maybe you feel like you can get more done, but you're more likely to draw conclusions that are incorrect about yourself and the work that you're doing? Or are you really just in this very, very heightened state um, of either feeling so, so ecstatic and excited that you can't think straight or so angry? They, they sort of live in the same place. So we spend time there. Um, we go through three or four cycles to keep checking in on those levels of emotion. Um, and then we have a kind of a, a chart that allows for people to look and see, like, what, what do I have available to give today for myself? And this, I think, is the biggest thing that has been helpful to people is that most of us approach the creative process from what I call the top, that, that level of when I get to be awesome, you know, when I get to, you know, see the book in my hand or, or I get to, um, in, you know, in the case with musicians, I'm playing and just completely integrated with the music and with the audience and feeling this sense of connection. And, um, what we try to show is that you, you can plug in at that level, but that um, sometimes the hardest level to plug into is the most basic, where just showing up, feeling calm in yourself, and doing much more basic uh, work on the instrument involving you know less um, criticism of yourself and more just doing. Um, and I sort of tried to layer it on developmental spaces as we grow up. Like most kids really love doing stuff. And then they come to a point where they start to love learning stuff. And then they come to a point where they start to love learning and refining. And then there's a point if it's allowed for them where they like to collaborate and feel that connection. And I feel like sometimes we, we approach it from the, from the top down which makes it sometimes harder to really enjoy doing what you're doing because you're so frustrated that it's not, you know, absolutely your best right now. Um, so I sort of try to help our clients to think about creativity as being layers of work or filters of work that you, you know, lay lay over the work that you've done so that it's a gradual building process so that by the time you get to those very high levels of refinement it really feels like a deep connection to the most basic parts of ourselves um which really have to do with our inner child right so that idea of uh, joy of doing and giving um and then we have a sort of process that we work through which reminds me a, a little bit of um, what I'm learning in uh, Christine Karen's program of that, that practice has multiple spaces. It's not just playing the instrument. It's the listening. It's the contemplation. It's the understanding other players, other, other artists, and that all of that feeds into the experience. So, by meeting as a community, it gives everyone just a little bit more of a grounding to be able to feel comfortable doing that. Mm. I love that. I love that. And I think it it resonates a lot just, you know, thinking about 
writers, a lot of times we, we definitely have inner critic problems, many of us. Um, but we're also like, you know, whether you're just starting out and you know, you really want to write and do something with it as a career, or even if you're, you know, in a career of writing, it's always like getting to the next thing and putting that pressure on yourself and, you know, focusing on the outcome versus like, sometimes I find myself worrying more about what's going to happen when the book is done than actually getting the books written, which is not Uh helpful for, you know, for actual good creative process work. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely interested in, I love this idea of, of identifying yourself on an emotional continuum and how that helps people kind of get back into that creative part of their brain. Yes, it's it's really the part we just we always always start with um, that if I come into the practice and I'm overly motivated, um, I may have these flights of fantasy and feel like I'm just playing amazing music. But then when I come back the next day, I may realize I haven't really done that much, um, except sort of have this emotional experience, which. It's not, it's not to criticize it that maybe that was what I needed at the time, but it helps me to manage expectations that, um, as maybe even disappointing as it might be, the best learning and work that I do usually comes from these calmer spaces that allows me to work into these inspired spaces where I'm not actually learning. And so there's this movement back and forth between a calm sense of learning and a heightened sense of, of what that learning does and then being able to bring it back down again. Um, I talk about how people move into this sort of, we call it perma yellow, which is the color of this anxiety space um, where you can be either incredibly motivated or incredibly frustrated. You know, like everything is heightened um, and coming down to green which is what we call the calm space is, um, is, uh, can be frightening a little bit for people to feel that because you, you notice more, you, you notice your narratives maybe that are false and you have to be willing to face some of those narratives and undo them. Um, I should mention that the, these zones of regulation come from a social worker named Leah Kuypers. Um, she, developed them, I think, mostly for schools so that kids could have an idea of sort of where they are when they start their learning process on the day. Hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's very, very connected and um, becomes deeper the more you do it. And how do so, you, how, does you, is part of your process um, helping people get from that heightened state to a calmer state? And how do you do that? Well, we have um, what I call a practice building. And um, at the very top of the building is performance. And then underneath performance is recording yourself and listening critically. And underneath that is sort of collaboration and receiving criticism. And as you move down the building, things become simpler and simpler and simpler until you get to just the level of notes, which would maybe be the equivalent of taking a book and reading the book but you're not reading it to analyze it you're just letting the 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 poetry move through you um and then 
um, underneath that is just plain listening, um, which is maybe the sort of in some ways can be the least effortful, you know, depending on how you look at it. Um, if you want to relax and just listen, that's, um, you know, very low on the, on the foundation. And then finally at the very bottom, we have self. So we always encourage, um, our clients and it's counterintuitive rather than getting a running start and trying to get motivated to start working. We, we motivate them to show up and then to calm down. And that, that I think is maybe the, maybe the hardest part of the creative process is to be motivated enough to sit down and do the work, but calm enough to look at the work carefully so that what gets done feels real. Um, and then actually in the diagram we have in the basement, we have parents and grandparents because um, for a couple of reasons. One is that our adult learners, oftentimes a lot of their blocks have to do with unresolved parental issues. But also we use this for children and their parents. And sometimes parents like to practice with their kids. And if you don't have the relationship calm and loving then no matter what you do moving up the building your foundation is is wrecked um, or at least not sturdy so if i had a priority for a kid between you know making peace with their mom or dad or whoever's raising them and making sure that they got their instrument out i would always pick that their relationship is feels secure um, which ultimately leads to much better uh, learning outcomes as well as mental health outcomes for, for both parent and child to know that they're not learning in spite of the fact that they can't get along, that they're, they're prioritizing the love between themselves allows for a calmer platform and allows for all of these things we've been talking about easier learning outcomes. Hmm. Hi, this is Julian, the producer for the Get Writing Podcast. Zencaster is an extremely important part of our workflow on this show. Podcasting has you working with a wide range of people who all have different computer and office setups, different levels of comfort with technology, and different levels of time and patience. Zencaster takes this big logistical headache and makes it utterly trivial. No more grappling with recording software, waiting for files to be delivered, losing files, none of that. Log in using your browser and start recording a high-quality podcast right away. Record studio-quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. Feel a sense of zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. If you've ever thought about podcasting and thought that you need a lot of different tools and services, those days are over. Zencaster is an all-in-one podcasting platform. You can create your show all in one place and then distribute it to Spotify, Apple, and all the other major destinations. Go to Zencaster.com pricing and use our code writing, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience as we do for all of our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, yes, <laughs> I think, I think what you said about having space to, to do your work. Cause I think sometimes a lot of, even myself, but a lot of the writers that I work with, um, you know, they're fitting it in around other 
commitments and responsibilities and jobs. And so it's like, okay, I have, you know, an hour a day or even less than that many of them have, right. Or feel like they have. And so I got to sit down and I got to produce something amazing and I got to make a lot of progress. Otherwise I feel like I suck. Right. And so it's a lot of it is about giving yourself that space to, um, maybe take a few minutes to journal first or to, you know, go outside and see if you can take a walk around the block just to clear your head. I'm a huge journaling advocate. I'm always talking about journaling, getting, you know, all the junk out of your head and onto a page just so you can clear some space. Um, so I think that's kind of what you're saying when it comes to also your music. Yeah. Sometimes I'll sit down to practice and I'll realize I haven't spoken to my sister and, you know, whatever long time and i feel like it's more important for me to call her than it is for me to get my instrument out Mm. and i might call her even for 15 minutes and then i feel ready to practice and i used to think of that as sort of a procrastination um but what i'm realizing is that um if you don't put yourself and all that that encompasses your friendships your family relationships um your sense of, you know, well-being, whether that's going out for a walk or, you know, all the things that bring us a sense of um, being grounded in ourselves. If you don't pay attention to that and you simply jump into the work, you're not really there's there's not a sustainable possibility there because you're you're burning something at the. Um, at the expense, the expense of getting the work done is burning something that you don't have an unlimited amount of. You have to restore it. So yeah, um, oftentimes I will spend the first segment of my practice doing something other than playing the violin. Um, <clears throat> whether it's you know talking to a friend or sitting quietly or going for a walk. Mm. Um, And that, that used to really make me anxious. Like I was somehow too weak to like get to the art right away. Um, when in fact it gives me the space to remember that the priority is priority is people starting with yourself and people that are in your life. People are really what you have and art art is not as important as people. I, I hope that that's not a, totally um controversial thing to say but i think it took me a long time to realize that like in my 30s i don't think i would have necessarily felt that way but um that's to me what's been really uh, a big game changer is to realize that my well-being and the well-being of people i care about is, is more important than the art that i produce and when i feel like i'm tending to that it's easier for me to let go and really do some of this more difficult foundational work. Well, yeah. I mean, it's true for any, any work, right? Like we have to not, not make work our entire lives. Um, even if, you know, I think for creative people, it's a little bit different than, you know, someone who just is going to a job just for the sole purpose of like, I need to get my paycheck and then I'm done. Um, but there are people who also do that and, and are very fixated on their jobs. But I think for creatives, we internalize it. We make it part of our being. And I think it is to some extent, but 
like with any work, it has to be a balance. And I also think it's true in reverse what you were saying about people, right? Like, um, so I always talk about Julia Cameron's, um, the artist way, and it's all about creative recovery. And I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yes. I've done, I've done that, that journaling. Yeah. Yeah. And she talks about, um, the drama in your life and the people who actually impact your art negatively. She calls them the crazy makers. Um, and one of the exercises is, you know, kind of going through and taking an inventory of the crazy makers in your, in your life and trying to put up boundaries so you can like focus on your art without them always like in your head. Yes. Yes. That's, that's the other side of it that you can become overly concerned with the wrong people. Yeah. And then, then it is a kind of an escapist tactic, but I find that because I'm able to come to it every day, the community brings me back every day. Eventually I have to face that, that, okay, who, who is on my mind right now? And are the, is it someone who I need to call because they help me feel grounded? Or is it someone that keeps me from thinking about what I need to be doing Mm -hmm. because of their, their drama? So yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I also love what you said about the parent child relationship with music. So, um, I, I don't think I've ever talked about this on the podcast before, but I took piano lessons for 10 years when I was a kid. I started when I was five. I really wanted to do it. I was really excited about it. And I stopped when I was 15. Um, but my, my mother, you know, she was very supportive of it, obviously. And she put me in lessons and she brought me every week and all, but oh my God, she made it like such a, uh, like a chore, right? It was every day you have to practice for exactly an hour or you don't get to watch TV or you have to go to bed early. You know, it was all these, and I'm not saying I was ever going to become this great musician or be a songwriter or, you know, a concert pianist or anything like that, but that is a creative act. And the parameters that were put on it were so stifling that eventually I had to stop because it was bringing me misery, not joy. Um, and I think it's interesting that I think I brought some of that into my writing too, because I was always very fixated Uh on like, I got to be really good at this. I've got to do it for this many hours a day, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 It's very subtle and, and that's what makes it very tricky. Um, and why we try to list sort of a priority list for the parent to, to see all the different spaces you can celebrate when a child is practicing so that you don't always feel like you have to criticize. Um, I think that criticism at the beginning of the learning process is not just difficult on the child at that point, but it leaves a seed that stays for the rest of their life. So it's very troubling to me to see like, you know, someone who has a four or a five-year-old toddler and they're trying to get them to refine something. <laughs> like essentially a toddler should be able to play the violin about as well as they can make an omelet. Hmm. It, it shouldn't be an ex- expectation <laughs> that they, you know, or, or as well as they can draw a picture, you know. Um, so I think you really hit the nail on the head with that, that even the subtlest of criticism um can create seeds of doubt in kids. Um, so the trick is to break it down enough that there's always something, some benefit in what the child does, even if they don't quote unquote, get it right. 
um, that the act of doing is really what we focus on at the beginning. And over time, at least in my experience, the kids who are left alone, um, or not left alone, but parents who stay but have sort of the right mental attitude, the child eventually becomes dissatisfied. And then the relationship changes between the parent and the child because the child looks at the parent and says, I don't like how this sounds. Can you help me? And now we have a whole new relationship because now the child is looking to the parent for help rather than waiting for the parent to criticize. Um, And that's when you know you've won. You've sort of created the possibility of a foundation that will go all the way into adulthood where instead of being afraid to show your parents something for fear of criticism, you want to be in a hurry to show them something so that they can help you make it better. You know, if, if you're dissatisfied with it. Um, so that's a, that's a really, it's very, very subtle because parents with the best of intentions, I'm sure your mom had the best of intentions can sometimes create these negative seeds. Um, there's a saying in our profession, um, don't just do something, stand there, Mm. um, where, you know, kids oftentimes they want to show what they can do, but they, they don't necessarily want you to say anything about it. Um, so it's true that it, that is a real rough spot between parents and kids in a tough balancing act, you know, for sure. Do you find that the adults that come to you need kind of that, um, I'll, I'll call it creative recovery, um, or, or are they kind of already in their, in their daily practice and they're doing it, or are they coming to you to kind of get that back because they haven't been practicing for a while or they haven't been doing their music for a while? It's been amazing to watch uh, all of the different types of people who've come. They all have different stories. Um, we have some people in their 80s who are just now discovering that they've been practicing in this heightened state of anxiety their whole life. And so they've made decisions about themselves from that space that they now have to, you know, sort of grapple with and undo. And, and what they find is it moves into their other spaces of their lives that they notice their emotional state. Um, before they do anything. And so it's helping them to bring their day into a calm space. That's been incredibly rewarding. Um, some people are starting for the first time. They, like they're coming, they're just starting to practice. And so it, it gives them a chance to sort of start in an unfettered way where they're, they have that support. And then we have some professionals who come in who I had one professional, for example, who just, we have three to four times that we stop in the course of the practice to give ourselves a chance to assess and reflect. And she just couldn't stop playing. Mm. Um, She just literally couldn't put her guitar down. And now she looks forward to it, but it took her a solid six months to really put together that slowing down and stopping was so painful for her at the beginning um, that, you know, she, it, she needed that kind of, I guess, rehabilitation. And the thing that's really I'm most proud of is that I don't hear anybody play a note. Mm. Um, 
So they're all improving and understanding their process without any critical feedback from me. So the, the space is really completely by definition nurturing that we run them through the process. We speak gently, we remind them to be kind to themselves and then they work out whatever needs to be worked out without feeling, you know, any of the weird authority, like feeling like I'm an authority figure on the, on the, they're playing. Yeah. Um, so, and also with kids, um, the parents have discovered that the kids practice for sometimes three to four times longer. So kids who maybe were practicing 15 minutes once or twice a week are now practicing almost day, every day for an hour and they're calm and they're, they're moving a lot. There's no, there's no pain, you know, and they're, and they're experiencing gains. Um, so all these things that as a youngster, I never thought were possible. I'm just sort of watching blossom under the, under this program. So that's been really gratifying for, you know, a violinist to, you know, I, I didn't necessarily set out with these intentions. Um, it makes me feel like my art um, has more depth to it because I'm really helping people gently find themselves. So, hmm. I love that. And I have to imagine that um, you've got, correct me if I'm wrong, but would you say that your people have given you feedback that a lot of this has maybe even translated outside of their music to their actual life? Yeah, virtually everybody, which again was unexpected. Um, but you know, I feel like as artists, we have this sort of relationship with life and wondering what we're going to leave behind and, mm. um, to know that I'm sending these kinds of waves into the, into the, whatever it is, the, the atmosphere, like they're, they're feeling it. Um, some kids are talking about how their parents are starting to talk about it more like their own, their parents own self-regulation and, spouses and um so it's bringing about a kind of new simplicity to understanding their minds and knowing when to pay careful attention to what they're thinking and when to know okay i'm in a space right now where i need to give my mind time to settle um to me just feels so gratifying to know that that's happening for people yeah. so it really is amazing to see what can happen when art is fully integrated into life rather than, you know, being treated as like a side project. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So, sure. and it becomes more powerful. Like we don't all have to be, you know, best-selling authors or Taylor Swift to have the music be a meaningful part or the art be a meaningful part of our lives. So, Yeah. That's good. 100%. This is yeah. awesome, Gabe. Tell people where they can find you if they're interested in looking into what you do. Um, I have two websites. Um, the main one is um, rollinpractice.com. Uh, and then I have educationforhappiness.org where you can find out more of the programs that we offer, which are all sort of kind of around this type of approach to learning. 
So. That's awesome. What you're doing so incredible. Thank you for being here and sharing it with us. Liz, thank you so much. That was, you're just such a great interviewer and I'm just amazed at what you do. So I'm so honored to be a, a part of this. Well, thank you so much. So there you have it. I just love Gabe's approach to music and nurturing his own and others' creativity. And I especially love his take on community. It's so similar to how we think about community as writers and how I approach community in my own membership and the other writing groups I'm involved in. We are better together. And it's always, always better to have more creative people on the other side of the camera, the other side of the table, the other side of the telephone, however you choose to connect, people who can support you and who you can support back. So I'd love to hear what your takeaway is from this episode. Let me know on Instagram or go over to my website, send me a message through there, kateconti.com. I would love to hear from you. And if you like the podcast, make sure you're subscribed. That way you don't miss an episode. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next week.